Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that questions what success in life really looks like. Today, I'm chatting to Ronnie O'Sullivan. I want to look like the guy that's actually enjoying what he's doing, win, lose, draw, whatever. I want to still come out and go, you know what, I actually enjoyed that because I spent a lot of time winning and not enjoying it. So I, I, I have had that privilege, if you like, of winning a lot and not being happy. And I've had that privilege of not winning so much, still doing all right, but being happy because I've got the right balance. And I went, I'm not prepared to win a lot, but be unhappy anymore. So I'm more kind of like about life's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Ronnie's had a career spanning over three decades, but his journey to becoming the greatest snooker player of all time has been filled with extremes. He was a teenage snooker prodigy, but the pressure that came with that, plus a challenging home life, led him to a life of excess and addiction, all of which he details in his memoir, Unbreakable. Ronnie was very close to walking away from snooker a bit over a decade ago, but after meeting with renowned psychiatrist Steve Peters, his career was reinvigorated. It became clear very quickly in this chat how much of his current mindset Ronnie attributes to his work with Steve. There's a little bit of a connection between Ronnie and my family, actually, which he touches on in this chat. Ronnie is very good friends with another Ronnie, my father-in-law, Ronnie Wood. They've spent a lot of time together back in the day. Ronnie, my father-in-law, Ronnie, is a huge snooker fan and a very good friend of Ronnie's. And my husband, Jesse, who would definitely be tagging along for a lot of fun back in the day, is also great friends with Ronnie, just in case you wonder what on earth we're talking about when we get into that in a bit. It was really good to catch up with him. What a lovely bloke. Extremely funny too, but really deep and meaningful at the same time. I really hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, let's do it. Here's the show. Ronnie. You alright? I'm good. Are you well today? Yeah. <laughs> You've got a busy time because you're obviously juggling your your day job with also talking about this new book you've written. Yeah, I've I've managed to sort of like condense my snooker down to like about eight hours a week. So it leaves up quite a lot of time to just do other stuff now. So I've figured out a way. You're managing it. Well, it's a brilliant book. I really, really enjoyed reading it. It's called Unbreakable. And you open the book, it's a sort of very poetic opening, describing what it feels like to play good snooker when you're in almost, I'm imagining it feels like a sort of meditative state, a flow state. Is that a state that you that you crave? Uh, 
I think you get kind of got to a point in my life where I felt a bit unhappy in myself and I kind of searched for a bit of inner peace and I didn't realize that I got that inner peace from playing snooker um so in a way I now play snooker just to kind of get away from the noise and the distractions of life and I I, I love what I do now more than ever because I didn't realise that that's what I was getting. You know, I get a lot of people who go, oh, you know, I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to find that peace and quiet. And I kind of get that from playing. So I now use playing as a chance to sort of be in that in that space, really, you know. At what point do you think you stumbled across that realisation that that was where you would, you would find that peace and experience it? Um, I don't really know, really. I just, I, just, I think... It's, it's a it's a difficult difficult one really because you have moments where it just feels like you know the, the best time when you're feeling really good is when you're in the most intense pressurized situation but you still feel calm and relaxed and you just think I'm in total control here um, when I go to the practice table then every day feels like an easy day because you're just practicing no one's watching you there's no pressure it's just you and the table and the balls and you're having fun but the, the most beautiful place to be is when you're in an intense big match, big final, world championships, there's loads of pressure, but yet you feel like you're so calm, you're so in control, and you just think, ah, oh, this is like this is like the, the icing on the cake, you know? So for me, it's about, you know, the, the ultimate buzz and the ultimate meditative state you can get in is when you're doing it in, in like an intense situation, you know? And what's the, I guess, the recipe to, to experience that under pressure? Because like... Everybody, although you've obviously had hours and hours of honing your skill and you've got natural talent in the mix, as well as all of that sort of study and, and practice, obviously we all wake up and some days are good, some days are bad. It might be you slept badly or you've got something going on in your life that's distracting you. What is the recipe to feel that sense of peace under that immense pressure with all eyes on you? I think you've just got to love what you do. And I think, I think the, the, other, the other person that mentioned it as well was Gaza. And I'm not saying I'm anywhere. I mean, he was like, he had like ridiculous fame and I don't know how he dealt with it. But I remember listening to one of his things where he went, the only time I get real peace is when I'm on that football pitch for 90 minutes and I'm just left alone. And I just think that that sort of, that resonated with me really in a way that I kind of think that no matter how bad things are in life, the minute I get on that table, I just become a little boy again. You know, I just become that 10 year old, that eight year old that just loves playing. And I've learned that if even if I'm having a really shit day and I'm not playing great, it's all right. You know, you know, we we can't always be great every day. But I I always I, I took myself out. I kind of went right now. I need to kind of like imagine that Tiger Woods was that my local golf club, and I don't know how he's playing, but I'm watching him on the driving range hitting balls, and he, in his mind he's thinking I'm really hitting the ball shit. But if I was watching him, I'd think he's the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. So I kind of had to turn that around and go, I might feel like I'm playing shit, but all these people who are watching me are thinking, that was a great shot. How did he do that? How did he do this? So I kind of like, I'm a little bit more lenient on myself to kind of go, you know what? I have high expectations of myself, but even when I'm playing really shit, I'm still like pretty good to most people, you know? So it's sort of learning to sort of change your perception or change your psychology towards it, if you like, because... There's nothing worse than going out there winning and feeling like you've you've embarrassed yourself or you've let people down, you know. And I, I've kind of learned to to kind of just realise that's just me, you know. It's not what everybody else is thinking, you know. Well, we're so hard on ourselves, aren't we? And I I, I was reading that bit in the book where you were talking about 
you were playing a match and you were you were winning, but you felt exactly as you just described. You felt like you were playing really badly, clumsily. That you felt um, you were lacking confidence, and then you watched that game back on the TV and were like, "Oh, I look super confident. I'm playing really brilliant snooker." And I think so many of us feel that. I mean, I'll have that. I'll sometimes even do one of these podcasts and think, oh, I fucked that up so bad. And then I listen back and go, it's actually fine. And I think we all in life think we're doing so much worse than we actually are. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and that's the key, you know, that's the thing, you know. It's, it's crazy, really. But, you know, like, I don't know. I just think you just, you, you, you kind of get to the point where I, I think I've been lucky enough to surround myself with people that I trust. You know, I've got a, a fella called Steve Peters and I've been fortunate enough to have great access to him and and every time I sort of run things past him he kind of tells me the truth and you know and he said to me he said Ronnie if I thought you was playing bad I'd tell you <laughs> you know what I mean he said yeah. so you know and you're not you're not playing bad you're not doing bad you know and I'd be like okay and this was this this is this particular match you're talking about I remember it was in the final of the Masters I said Steve you need to get down here because I'm I'm all over the gaff. And he was like, I've been watching you. You're doing great. And I'm like, no, Steve, you've got to get down here because I'm I'm all over the show. So anyway, he come down. I won the final 10-1. And he went, well, what do you reckon? I went, no, it was still shit. I said, I played awful. <laughs> and then five years later, I watched that match. And the match you're talking about, I was like, wow, I actually played really well. So what I was feeling and what I was actually doing were like completely just not, they were just, it was, I had it wrong. So now... I kind of have to sort of have trust in certain people. And I go, what did you make of that? And he went, yeah, there's a few mistakes, but on the whole, it's pretty good. And I went, okay, all right. So, you know, and it just it just allows me to just keep going and not, you know, not feel so quite so bad about it, you know, you know. And do you think that's, it's also because your, your perspective of snooker has changed over the years in terms of, you know, you say these days it's not about winning. You want to get out there and enjoy it and have a, a good time. So are you putting less pressure on yourself in terms of when you're playing a, you know, a, a sort of a match where all eyes are on you and it's a, it's an international match? You're you're taking the pressure off yourself a little bit with that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I, I kind of realise it's impossible to flip that switch. I've always been a competitor. I've always wanted to perform really well and... Like Steve said to me, he said, that will never go. He said, so when you ring me up on the Monday and you're, you're stressing about a tournament starting on the Saturday, he said, I ain't worried. He said, because I know come Saturday, you're going to be on it. <laughs> he said, I know it. He said, you know, he said, you, you've got that competitive animal in you. He said, what we've got to do is manage the build-up, manage your self-doubt. You're, you're a very catastrophic thinker. He said, so we kind of mm-hmm. like got to get on top of that. And I think that's what sort of happened. And... By trusting that I'm going to be all right when I need to be all right has become like, so now when I go away to tournaments, I don't worry about my game, my practice, has it gone well. For me, it's like every tournament I go away to, it's like a holiday. So I said to my mate this morning, I said, when I go away, I said, I've got my running mates waiting for me. I says, I have breakfast with them. And then I go for coffee. Then I'll kind of hang out with my mate. I go and get some dinner. I said, if someone said to me that holiday is going to cost you three, five grand for a week to go and do that, I would pay it. I said, but actually, I'm getting paid to be there and do that as well. I said, so I'm up for none. <laughs> I said, no matter what happens, wherever I go, I'm having a great time. So my hobbies and my and my love of running, keep fit, of just being sitting in coffee bars and just scrolling on my phone, 
that's like 95% of my day. The other 5%, yeah, I've got to put my suit on and yeah, I get a bit nervous. But I know that when it comes on, if I start performing badly, I'm going to get a bit pissed off at myself and I'm going to go, right, I've got to, like, I've got to find a way to win here. So that kind of naturally kicks in. So the build-up for me is it's just about managing the build-up and kind of worrying less about how I'm going to perform on the table and just trusting that it's going to work itself out no matter what. And the more, worry, the more I worry about it, the less I'm probably going to want to do it in the end. So it's about just, you know, like Steve Peters said to me, he said, if aliens came down and watched what you were doing, they'd go, what, he's actually taking this series, sticks and balls on a bit of felt, what, he's really <laughs> getting upset over, like, not performing. He said, you know, and I went, yeah, he went, it's ridiculous, Ronnie. He said, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he, he, said, he said, I have to perform life-saving operations on young kids. He said, and I have to sit there with their parents and go, this ain't looking good. He says, and you're moaning about your game. He went, come on, mate, get it into perspective. It's just a game and you've got a great life. Enjoy it. He said, because at the end of your career, you're going to go, I wish I enjoyed it more. So I've been fed so much of that stuff from Steve, which I'm so grateful that I've been able to meet him, that it's kind of just sunk in so much now that that shift has happened. And it's like, there's no turning back now. I don't want to go back to the old me. I'm happy where I am and, and, I, and I just want to keep it going, you know. And brilliantly, when you're enjoying something and you're in the moment, you you are better at it, whatever you're doing. It's like you give the example in the book of Usain Bolt, who, you know, we've seen on the start line of many races, high-fiving everyone around him, smiling at the crowd. Everyone else is like serious, sort of stressed, trying to get in the zone. And But it's, it's counterintuitive because I, I know that feeling and I can be a real catastrophic thinker as well you know I can get myself in a, a terrible hole worrying about things that are going to go wrong and it just doesn't serve you it doesn't get you anywhere it, and I guess it is a discipline almost to allow yourself to enjoy something and allow yourself to not feel the stress yeah no absolutely absolutely and and, and, and listen I get criticized a lot because a lot of the players they they hear what I say I mean it was quite funny because I was saying to Stephen Hendry who was at the UK Championships recently and he went, we were just chatting. I went, Stephen, I actually don't give a monkey's, mate. If I get beat, I'm thinking, sweet. I'm in the pundit. And he went, he went, you know what? He said, I actually believe you now. He said, but when you first started saying it, I thought, nah, that can't be true. And he went, but I know you mean it. And I went, I said, I'm telling you, mate. I said, this is where you need to be. And he went, I wish I could have done that myself. He said, it's working for you. And that's what I'm saying. It's not like my performances have dropped off. They're still good. And I think a lot of the current players get a bit frustrated because obviously they think, well, he's got all these tournaments, all this stuff. And one of them said, well, why are you here playing? And I thought, well, because I want to be here. I'm having a good time, mate. You know, I'm going to have the most amazing Italian food later and then I'm going to go for a run in the morning. <laughs> That's why I'm here. That's what I'm saying. When people say to me, why do I play snooker? I go, I meet my running mates. Why do I play snooker? I get to sit in a coffee bar and scroll on my phone. Why, why do I play snooker? I get to meet my mate Robbie. Why do I play snooker? I get to like get some quiet time in my hotel room. Why do I play snooker? I get to like sit in bed at night and just have hot chocolate and just shut my eyes and just think, you know what, this is great. Why do I play snooker? I get my breakfast cooked for me. I get my bed made. I'm like, they're all really good reasons to keep playing snooker. <laughs> do you think a bit, you also have to, um, you know, we've all got an ego. That is a given as a human being. And you have to almost 
get in touch with your ego, uh, have a good line of communication with your ego, because it's the ego that for all of us will latch onto, you've got to win, you cannot mess this up, you've got to be the best in the world. How do you reason with, with that sort of thinking if it creeps in? Um, because I think I think with me, I just feel like I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have been in a position where I feel like I've, I have got nothing to prove. So if I was sitting here talking to you and I hadn't won a world title, I hadn't won anything, I might not have that luxury of saying, you know what, it doesn't matter whether I win or lose. So I don't want to kind of like sound like, you know, this person that's got it all sorted. No, I've I've actually overachieved in my opinion. So I'm kind of quite comfortable to go, you know what, I've rinsed snooker and I've got more out of it than I ever thought. So let's just be a little bit grateful for that. And I'm kind of like, I can I can maybe take a few, you know, losses and loses and kind of be a bit philosophical about it. So... You know, um, I don't want to sort of come across as like, you know, because it could be, you know, the other way around where I'm, you know, like I said, you know, haven't achieved and, and I could feel pretty shit about myself. So, but I've just learned that if I keep thinking that winning is the, the route to happiness, then I'm going to be quite disappointed because when I look at my stats, I probably only win five, 10 percent of the tournaments that I play in. So does that mean that 90 percent of the time I'm going to be miserable? No, it just means 90 percent of the time I just have to get up off the floor. And come back again and I enjoy the comeback I'm one of them that like I, I like being beaten up and then going you know what I'm still here and then playing <laughs> well and then going like that yeah we can do it you know and it's kind of like like you say Usain Bolt it's like you can keep beating yeah. me you can keep whatever but I'm going to keep showing up and they, each time he shows up you know them competitors are thinking fuck me I wish he weren't here and I just kind of <laughs> feel a bit like that when I play snooker I turn up and I know that they're thinking <sighs> When's he going to retire? You know, because it's frustrating for him, you know, and, and I kind of get off on it a bit to think, you know what? I'm staying fit and healthy just to piss you lot off. You know, I'm not, you're yes. not getting an easy ride. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, one of the, the punchiest lines in the book, which I wrote down because I loved it so much, was that you say your greatest asset is that you'll crack, but you don't break. Why do you think that is? Is that just your nature? Is that lived experience? Yeah, I think I think I've sort of like built up this resilience over the years. I think it it started when I was a kid at school and I just I just wouldn't be told what to do. So it's not like something that was put in me, but I think my dad recognized it and went, "You know what? I've got something here. You know, I've just got to like channel it in the right direction." So he got me into all sports, but I think he knew that I had that that grit and determination to sort of like just keep going. You know, and, and I think over the years, I've kind of, you know, listen, we've all had our ups and downs, but obviously, you know, losing my dad when I did, my mum going to prison, that was quite a lot to take on. And I just think that you kind of like, you get through them situations and you come out the other end of it and you go, right, well, that's, that's I've, I've got through that. What else you got to throw at me? And then something else comes in and you kind of, oh, I got through that. And then, and then all of a sudden you start to, to motor on and then you start to kind of like, you know, you, you win a world title, then you win two world titles, you win three world, and then you think, oh, and then and all of a sudden you think, hold on, I'm, you start to feel like you can cope with anything. And I think it's just kind of like that inner confidence that you kind of get um, that I'm just a survivor. <laughs> I'll always come out and I, and I know that if the worst situation happened to me, if all I had was my shirt on my back, I could get on a plane, go to Thailand, put my feet up, I'd have friends there, and I know that I'll, I'll fit in anyway, you know, so I don't feel like I'm needy for the things that most people think that they need. I'm quite happy to go, you know what, have it all, but 
you're not having my sanity, you're not having my 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 freedom, you know, like Steve Peters says, he says, you're a bit like a leaf. He said, you blow around in the wind. He said, you hear you there. He said, but I know that. He said, so, and it's like his PA said, he said, Ronnie's meant to be here at 12 o'clock. Steve went, don't worry about Ronnie. Ronnie will get here when he gets here. He said, let's just get on with our day. And he's, he's right, you know, I hate being like locked down to a time, to this, to that. So I'm, I, I like to just... I just go with the flow, you know? Well, I wonder if some of that is just in your DNA, naturally who you are, because I think reading the book, some of the experiences you've been through would floor people to the point where they would get stuck in that feeling of grief, injustice, whatever it might be. Like you say, you know, at the age of 16, your dad went to prison not long after, your mum went to prison, and you at the age of 19 already playing very high-end professional snooker were looking after your 12-year-old sister. I mean, that is an unbelievable burden for a teenager and someone who's, you know, skyrocketing in, in the most brilliant career with passion attached to that. That is a lot to cope with. And I mean, as you just said there... I guess when you're in the moment, you don't really, you're just getting through it. You have to survive that. And maybe it's retrospective that you look back and go, I can't believe I got through that. And I'm in one piece. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. That's, I think that's why, you know, a lot of the time as I get a bit older now, especially at the last World Championships, I broke down quite a lot, really, like emotionally. And that was just because I had my daughter there, I had my son there, I had my dad there. And I just reflect, it was just reflective. You know, I was just reflecting on, hold on a minute. I remember the day when he went to prison. I remember the day when I had to leave them two little ones and didn't really have that bond with them. I remember that day where I got insomnia through stress, through anxiety, and I, and I was losing the plot. But I came through it and I found a way to kind of get on top of my life, my work, everything, to just to survive. And by winning them little battles and kind of like kind of getting there and then getting to that World Championships last year, and winning and playing great and feeling good about it. Like I said, that meditative state where I went, you know what, this is the ultimate gladiatorial here. I played John Higgins in the semi, massive rival, beat him, unbelievable. Judge Trump, 33 years of age, unbelievable player. I'm 47, it's on me here. But I went, you know what, you're gonna have everything, I'm gonna give you absolutely everything this weekend and and it's last man standing. I went wallop, wallop, wallop and, and that was it. And I come out and I went, wow. And for me, that was like, you know what, that made me feel good, you know. So I think that's sort of like you kind of a bit more reflective in a way of sort of of like, like I said yesterday, I said, you know what, just listen, you know, through, through Jesse and Ronnie, like they know me well. I was like, I got lost, but they see that, you know, that was just like a, you know, and they were there for me and supported me and they know the story and it's kind of like, I didn't ever think I'd get to this point where I was healthy, clean, little, you know, little bit of sanity there. You know, I'm 47. I ain't got long to go. So even if it goes wrong now, who gives a fuck? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I've come this far. If this is as far as I get, I'll take it. You know what I mean? I'm not greedy. So I'm kind of like all right with where I am. And if it don't get any better, fine. If it gets worse, suck it up, take it on. Life can throw all sorts at you, you know, but it's just about... You know, just keeping your sanity at the end of the day and where I'll end up, who knows? It could be in some, I could I could end up living in Kenya, doing all the passions that I love, which is running, eating Ugali with them Kenyans, cleaning their boots and getting him ready for his marathon, taking a young kid on, being his mentor, and I'd get such a buzz out of that. So, 
that's where my joys are, is giving back and sometimes giving back to the right people. So even if the shit is the fan, I could end up in Kenya as some sort of role model or some sort of, you know, some sort of giving guidance to some young kid that's got some talent. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make you an Olympic champ. You're going to do it, but I'm going to help you. Do you know what I mean? Let's, let's do it. And that, that, so they're the sort of opportunities that I know that are out there. I just have to sort of, there's so much to do, you know, that, you know, that excite me, you know? Yeah, it's exciting. I think it's always exciting seeing that there could be a whole new chapter ahead. I think that's what kind of certainly gets me out of bed in the morning. And, you know, you mentioning there that you, you felt like, you know, you'd lost your way at some point and you mentioned my husband and my father-in-law who have also been on that, you know, exact journey of, of excessively drinking, etc., and then healing from that. But you did it quite way before both of those two. Um, you know, you were in the late 90s. You, you say that you hit rock bottom in Holland in the late 90s and that was pivotal for you and that was pivotal for you. To, to change your journey and to and to walk down a new path. Why did that feel like rock bottom at the time? What was the defining feeling of being in Holland and knowing things had gone too far? I just got, kind of got to the point where I thought I thought I said to my mate, I said I'm, I feel like I'm, I said I, I could I feel like I'm gonna die. <laughs> I said Jerry, don't let me die in Amsterdam, mate. I said whatever happens, just fucking make sure that you get me home or whatever it is. Just and he went. I'm taking, and he was like a big brother to me, Jerry. And he went, I'm with you. And I went, sweet. And I, and I realised then, I thought, this has got completely out of hand. I need to sort myself out. I don't know when that moment was after Holland, but I was on the way to like, you know, I need to to sort this out. So yeah, I was kind of the first one to sort of get myself into rehab, get myself clean. You know, I wasn't successful at staying clean. I would have three, four months cleaning. I'd be off the wagon, but... I knew that it was the right thing for me to do, which was stay clean. And then I think, like you say, you know, I became like a bit of like, you know, if people wanted to get clean, it was like, ring Ronnie. Ronnie Ronnie seems to have a little bit of an idea of how to kind of like do it. So it's been great. You know, listen, I'm so happy for your family, Jesse. You know, I watch from afar, speak to, you know, and it's so happy that everyone's happy, you know, and it's great, you know. It really is. It really is. And it's, it's obviously... Whether it's due to addiction or it's just a lifestyle that you find yourself in drinking excessively, it's not an easy thing to get out of. And obviously it's a motivator, I think, obviously for Jesse and Ronnie to help other people, but also why I do this podcast to offer up stories where people know it is possible to get out of addiction or loops where you are drinking excessively. What do you think the first step was for you? Was it rehab? Did that impact you in a way that, that led you down a different path? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that was the, the... If I didn't do that, then nothing else would have worked. You know, I would kind of yeah. would have ended up a complete mess, um, throwing my career away, throwing my life away. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a pretty, pretty, pretty life. And I think rehab gave me that sort of, um, well, actually it was my first meeting. So it was my first meeting, I'm sitting in a circle, 30 addicts sitting there and I'm looking around, I'm thinking, yeah, it's all right, you know, I'm sitting there, I ain't, I ain't got to talk to anyone, I'm just listening, some nice little stories. And then one fella started talking and I was like, I thought, was he talking? He, 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 I thought someone had said to him what I was going through because everything he said was how I felt. And I'm looking at him, he's got a nice jacket on, he's got nice bottoms on, he looks all confident. And I'm thinking, I just I just thought, if he can do it, then, you know, and it gave me a belief. And I went home and I was, I went, I went to that meeting feeling 
fucking depressed and down. And I went home thinking, yes, I was flying. And I had my last joint. I went, I'm having my last joint because <laughs> I'm in rehab tomorrow. <laughs> and I went into <laughs> rehab and uh, I'd done a month in there. I skitzed out after two weeks, got all paranoid, went home for about four hours, went back to the rehab, done my month, got clean for about nine months, done the steps, done all that sort of stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I can be happy without drink and drugs. Um, it's just, I've just got to stay away from it now, you know. But the, the healing period is is about kind of like, you know, trying to find your personality again, you know, still doing life, but without drinking. And, and you, you, when, you, when you first give up, you think, I'm going to be the most boring person in the world. And in some ways, maybe I am, but I've kind of like embraced that and gone, well, where do I fit in? I don't fit in with the lads because I'm not a lad. So I'll go down the running club. I train Tuesday and Thursday night with them. I go, I do a few races. I do a few park runs. I'll go to the Peak District or the Lake District and I'll climb a mountain. And that's a great day for me. And I'll have a nice little barbecue, bit of food, early night, and I'm over the moon. So that's, you know, I've just kind of, you know, embraced that that's, that's all right for me. You know, it might not be for everybody. But at least it gives us a chance to find a path that suits us, you know. So rehab was definitely the first start. And I think it was the most important one because addiction still runs through my life. But I choose to channel it into running, exercise, cooking my work, my snooker, um, working with Steve Peters, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. I can be really obsessive with that sort of stuff, but I'd rather be obsessive with that because I know that that's taken me forward and it's sort of, um, and by me being good, I'm able to be good for my family and friends and be a, and be more of a supportive sort of person instead of a burden. You know, my mum and dad must have worried like shit for seven, eight years. Now they don't have to worry, you know, so... I think it's just a ripple effect and then obviously just keeping myself fit and healthy and obviously the work I've done with Steve Peters, it's kind of like leveled me out now. I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm all right, you know, I'm, I kind of can see what's important, what's not important and, you know, I, I can roll with the punches a bit more, you know. Do you see a correlation between your drinking and what happened in your childhood? Was there a sense of running away from it or do you think that that addictiveness came from something else or just I guess genetically how you showed up in the world yeah no listen I mean that's a good question and my, I, I said to my mum I said mum I said what was I like as a kid I said was I like she went no you was a happy kid you was this and that I had a great upbringing I had a great life you know my mum and dad yeah it was dysfunctional she was an Italian beautiful looking woman my dad was this little East End funny large and life character they were like at each other it was like a scene out of the Sopranos you know what I mean it's like <laughs> You know, she, she she pressed every button in his body. He was like, uh, and I grew up with that, but I had the best upbringing. My dad loved me, took me everywhere with him. My mum was a great mum. She was like a solid, solid person. Um, I was just destined to fucking, I was just a little fucker. You know what I mean? I just I just had it in me, you know. I, I was just I was just always up to no good as a kid. I couldn't help it. Um, not in a bad way, but, you know, I was always in trouble, you know. So I was a trouble, I was a, tr I was a troublemaker, if you like. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was setting fires in the park and thought it was funny, you know. I was I was driving the milk float down the road and, you know, I was doing stupid things. I was driving my dad's car up and down the road and around the block when I was 12. And it's like, you know, I thought that was what it was fun, you know, but it wasn't, you know. It was just, I was just, a, uh, you know, and, and my best mate's mum didn't want me to hang around with him because she was like, my George, you know, don't want him hanging around with Ronnie, but now she loves me. So, you know, I'm just, you know what I mean? You know, there's a good side to me, but then there's a little bit of a, a naughty child in there, you know, and, and and he's still there, but I just learned to just sort of like keep him away, you know, like now I'm a, 
I'm a bit more, I, I use a bit more diplomacy, you know what I mean? I'm a little bit more, you know, like, you know, let's think of the bigger picture now, you know, I, I don't try and win every battle. Sometimes it's good to just, you know, let people save face sometimes and just, you know, just get on with your business, you know? Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And you say mental health-wise, you would sway more towards anxiety than depression. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the same these days. I think anxiety is always just in the background a little bit and I have to keep that at bay. How do you deal with that today? Because I know in the book you also talk about that affecting you in social situations, which again resonates massively. Um, I don't love socialising. It has to be with you know people that I know very well or sort of small groups to feel completely at ease and myself how do you deal with that because obviously your job is well can be very social you're at tournaments there's lots of people spectators or players who you're going to be mooching around with how do you how do you keep the anxiety at bay right my snooker turns me into an anti-social person i become like edgy and when i become edgy i become like i ain't got time for small talk i ain't got time i don't you know what i mean I'm, I'm preoccupied so i kind of end up shutting myself off from the world, if you like, I might have three or four people with me and I can like unload on them and we can have a laugh. Even when I'm having a nightmare, we can have a laugh about it. So I kind of like, when I'm playing, I accept that part of that is that I'm going to become this unsociable person. But the minute I get beat, I'm like, Whoa. now I can relax. I become the most social person in the world. So what I've learned to do is to kind of go that there are times when I'm going to be unsociable, but I don't want to be an unsociable person. So... I'm not unsociable when I'm doing my work with Eurosport. I'm not unsociable when I'm doing this stuff with you. I'm not unsociable when I'm doing stuff that doesn't, you know, get into my bones. You know, this is just nice stuff. I'm not unsociable when I'm doing a few little property stuff that, you know, that I do or I'm buying a bit of art and I'm selling it or anything like that. I just go, this is exciting. And I'm like, I want to, you know what I mean? Or I'm down the running club. I'm like the most social person in the world. But... I've learned to do a lot more of that stuff because that changes me. It makes me a nicer person. It makes me a much more social person. I don't have the anxiety. I can sit there in a room with 500 people that I don't know. I'm, you know, I just buzz off of everybody. But if I'm in the middle of a tournament or I've got the World Championships coming up and you put me in a room full of 500 people, I want to run for that exit door. I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. Cause... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? But I also have some really good quotes that I say to a lot of people because a lot of people, when they see me, they want to talk about snooker. And I'm like, I don't actually want to talk about it. Like, they go, when's your next tournament? And I'm like, so now I just say to them, I said, I don't actually play anymore. And they go, really? And I go, yeah, I'm done with it, mate. I said, I'm time out. I said, I'll do a bit of punch. I'll do a bit of this. I said, life's sweet. And you can see him. It's like, so I just killed a conversation. I kill conversations that I don't want to have. And <laughs> and and then and, and it was quite funny because one woman, she went to me, oh, but you know, when you're playing it. So I said, I don't play no more. But literally, I'd played the day before. And it was in Landino. <laughs> and she was in Landino. And I see her look at me like that as if to say, but you were playing yesterday. And I went, have a nice day. And I was like, out of there. 
You know, so great. sometimes what I do is I realise I'm actually really a nice person to talk to when I'm talking about something that I'm actually interested in. I'm not really interested in snooker because it fucking burns my head out. But I talk about <laughs> running, I talk about mental well-being, I talk about nice food, restaurants, you know, what's what's this one up to? And that, you know, and that. But get me on snooker and I'm like, boom. I'm like, fucking hell, do we really have to talk about that? So I've learned to eliminate conversations by lying yeah you just have to lie you just have to lie just you know there's, no, there's nothing wrong with a lie you know um <laughs> if it's for the benefit oh, if it's for the benefit of everybody it's a great tip yeah exactly it's a great tip um how else might anxiety show up in your life today do you still feel it in other areas um listen i, I I'm, I'm, I'm 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 a natural first emotion is panic catastrophic yeah. thinking so i realized that and i kind of go oh come that's that's just normal so now let's like sit down and like let's get a bit of a perspective on it. Is it really worth me thinking this about that? No, it's not. You know, like Steve Peters said, aliens felt balls. Really, we're going to start taking this shit serious. Now, what's really important is having a cup of tea with me, mate. How you doing? You alright? How's your mum? How's your dad? Yeah, they're all good. Steve, you alright? How's your running? Yeah, all good. Like, lovely. That's that's the important things. You know what I mean? Just just the day to day things that make us happy. So I think what was the question again? I'm sorry, I sort of lost my thread. <laughs> If you feel anxiety in other bits of your life, or how, well, you've just said panic there. I know in the book you talk about you feel panic about people leaving you. Again, I'm imagining that correlates to your parents going to prison when you're a teenager. Is that something that still affects you? I think I'm a bit of a needy sort of person in in some ways. You know, I'm I'm not good at being alone, and I I, w- I would always say, well, no, I'm alright at being alone. But Steve Peters went to me and said, no, you you need people. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Fuck because he's always right um so i've realized that that's that's part of me that i'm always going to need something so it's the running club or it's running friends or it's just 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 people in general so i kind of need that in my life really you know i'm probably better when i'm around you know people that i feel comfortable with but yeah listen i mean anxiety and when i say anxiety for me anxiety is where i feel trapped you know a little bit of edginess a bit of pressure that's different, you know, I can function in the world, I can still have a conversation with someone. Anxiety is when I'm sitting there and I'm like, literally, it's like, I can't breathe. And I probably get that once a year, twice a year. It's always related to a big snooker match or a big snooker tournament. Sometimes I don't get it because I'm managing it really well, my game's good and everything's just in place. And I'm like, you know what, we're all right here, you know. Um, So, but in general, I'm usually not, that much of a panicker really because nothing's really that important to me in that respect you know what I mean it's sort of like I think I've kind of got quite a lot of things that I enjoy doing that if I keep kind of doing them it like 10% of my life is is going to be tough where I've got to go and play snooker but the other 90% of my life is doing a lot of things that I enjoy so when you've got 90% pushing against the other 10% the other 10% hasn't got a chance to really get in and if it does get in, I kind of go, all right, we've just got to nip this in the bud. It's just for a short period. You know, you know, it's going to be all right tomorrow. You know what I mean? I'm going to put the cue yeah. down, go home, rest, put the feet up, be with my family, friends. Might, you know, take me three, four days just to like proper decompress. But it's going to be fine, you know. So you kind of like can look ahead and kind of see that it's, it's just fickle. Like, you know, a lot of the yeah. stuff that is bothering us is fickle and given a little bit of time, half an hour, an hour, or a little conversation with someone, someone might say something to you, you're kind of like, you know what, it's all right, you know, so I'm much more aware that 
life can be fickle, you know. And let's talk about running because you it seems like it saved you in many ways. What was the transition from feeling awful in Holland and drinking to excess to then you're now running like you're competing you're running at a high level and your training is intense and as you say you've got these running clubs all over the UK where you've got friends that you meet up in different venues that become your sort of running buddies how did you end up running and 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 loving it so much um I, I, I'm not sure I love it but I actually got right. so into it and I got to a half decent standard where I went you know what it's hard to not enjoy something when you do it half decent. The problem came when I was so into the running that I said I was playing at snooker tournaments and I was thinking, I don't want to be, I want to be running with my mates. And then I was being in the tournament and there'd be a race on the Saturday and I'm thinking, if I get beat on the Thursday, I can get home Thursday night, Friday, be ready for the race Saturday. I got home and I said to Terry, I said, tell me, I said, I've got a bit of a problem here. I said, the running's like obviously more important than the snooker. You know, but it's not good, mate. I'm I'm still only like 20, 28, 29. I, you know, it's my job. So he said, look, what I'll do is I'll I'll introduce you. Where's your next tournament? I said, Telford. He said, right, I'll get onto the local running club. So he introduced me to him. I turned up. He said, here's, here's, here's this girl's number. It's Claire. Um, he said, you're meeting her at 7.30 at this pub. So I went to the pub. And I went, oh, you're Claire. And she went, yeah, you're running. I went, sweet. She said, right, take you to the gang. So we went out for a run. I was running with Tim Don, who was the world triathlon champion at the time. I was running with a fellow called Chris Davies, who ran in the Commonwealth Games and has run 5K in 13 minutes, 20 or something. And I'm thinking, wow, this is like, like I said, I would pay for this experience. So we went out, we had a seven, eight, nine mile run. I got to know Chris really well. I went, there's some tickets for the match. You and your dad, all week, come and watch when you want. He went, lovely. He went, mum's cooking some dinner later come round, so I went round there, she had a bit all like this, potatoes, food, lovely cake, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking this is unbelievable so I went to Terry, I went, magic mate I said, I, I said I'm in Ireland next week, same again <laughs> that's went, amazing Done. so literally, I've kind of created all these friends and this this little bond of, of, of running mates, and basically I'm very good at getting comfortable in somebody's ass and the minute they invite me around, I'm like shoes off up on the sofa, remote control, <laughs> and, I, and I go. I said the football's on the other, the boxing's on. I go. Do you want to watch it? I go. Oh, I'd love to watch it. And bang. So I've got, I've got the telly. I've, you know, I'm making the tea. I'm, I'm very good at getting comfortable in other people's houses. It's brilliant because you've, you've created a lovely community feel, and you've got new friends, and you've also got this wonderful hobby. And you say there because I, you know, I was intrigued as to how you ended up loving running, but as you've just said, you don't love it. I think it's really important when we look at hobbies or things that can help us that we're not pinning everything onto it, that we've got to feel complete euphoria. Because you say even when you're practising snooker, it's either for pain or relief. So the pain is the punishment. The relief is you're creating some sort of safety with that kind of practice. Do you experience the same with running? Because obviously physically it's painful. Mentally it can be quite torturous. Do you look for that in new challenges that there's got to be a sort of a pain pleasure ratio yeah i mean when i say pain and relief a lot of why when i would play snooker i would only play just to see if i still had it and i said to steve peters i said it's fucking driving me mad i said because i'm going there and if it's not there i'm frustrated and if i go there and it's good i'm scared that the next day i go there that it's not going to be good he said so how can you enjoy your practice is all you're all you're going to get is pain or relief relief that you're playing well and pain that you're not playing well. He said, so 
that's got to go out the window, mate. He said, that's, that's, that's not champion thinking. Champion thinking is I'm going to go there, do my job. He said, because if I'm doing a, an operation on the kid and I'm thinking, oh, things ain't right at home, this and that, and I mess up, he says, that ain't good. He says, so you've got to be the same. He said, when you go to that table, it's like, I'm just here to pop balls, turn into a robot. Whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Because when you get on the start line, the lights go on, the crowd come on, you're going to perform. He says, so let's not worry about the forms, good and bad. That's, you know, that's just life. He said, so, but if you're going just to sort of, you get confirmation that you can still play or you can't play, you're never going to be in a good place. So I've kind of learned that searching for something is not a good thing to do. Just go out, do it. If it's shit, it was shit. If it was good, it was good. Who gives a shit? Tomorrow's another day. I'm going to enjoy my dinner. I'm going to enjoy whatever I've got to do. They're the most important things. And I only do that with snooker because snooker, like I said, gets into my bones. With running, I'm not a good runner. I, I love it. I'm keen. I get out there and I do my best. And if I come like 100th out of 200 runners in a cross-country race, I feel like a champion. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if I come 100th out of 200 out of, in a snooker competition, I'm going to think that's a complete failure. So they're, they're completely two different things. But, you know, I've learned to just enjoy and just give him my best. I'm giving my best now. I'm giving my best when I go home later tonight. I'm going to give my best when I get up in the morning. I'm going to just give my best in every situation. It might not be brilliant, but I'm going to show up. And I'm, and I'm not going to fucking moan. And I'm not going to, like, you know, scream. I'm not going to put, like, let's just get on with it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And, and, like, what will yeah. be will be, you know. And, and it's kind of, it's, it's a lot better way to get through because... I can be 100% confident that I can do that, but I can't be 100% confident I'm going to play well every day. That just doesn't happen. But I can be 100% confident I'm going to do my best. And even if I don't feel good, I'm still going to do my best. Do you know what I mean? Like we had a photo shoot here this morning. I was absolutely knackered. And I thought I could sit here sulking and I'm tired. And I was like, nah, just fucking give it your best. And I said to him, I've done my best. I said, I felt a bit... He went, no, you was great. And I said, you know, you know, but sometimes you can feel a bit sorry for yourself and uh, moaning. Like, I don't want to be a moaner. No, I get it. And do you know what? I think I needed to hear a lot of that. And I'm sure a lot of people out there did because I think we're culturally taught to pin everything onto winning, success, doing things well. But like you've just said there, it's a really treacherous path to walk when you're pinning feeling good on only winning and feeling bad on losing because I can do it even about a podcast again I'll go that went well now I'm allowed to feel happy the rest of the day or oh that was a bit of a shocker now I've got to feel shit about myself for the next four or five days and it is you waste time and it is utterly pointless so I think it's really an important note in any not even sport in anything that you enjoy doing or that you want to do well at is just to sort of take that pressure off and just go and do your best without wondering what the result's going to be. Absolutely. You know, that's why I say about Usain Bolt, because when I watched him, yeah. I went, that's who I want to be. Whether he was stacking shells in Tesco or whether he's running Olympic 100, that is that is who you want to be. I don't want to be the fella there that's stressed out, all pent up and, and he might win it. But he still ain't. He doesn't look like he's enjoyed it. And for me, you want to feel like I'm, I want to look like the guy that's actually enjoying what he's doing. Win, lose, draw, whatever. I want to still come out and go, you know what? I actually enjoyed that because I spent a lot of time winning and not enjoying it. So I, I, I have had that privilege, if you like, of winning a lot and not being happy. And I've had that privilege of not winning so much, still doing all right, but being happy because I've got the right balance. And I went, I'm not prepared to win a lot, but be unhappy anymore. So I'm more kind of like about life's a marathon. It's not a sprint. 
And if I want to get from here to there and feel all right, I've kind of like got, sometimes you've got to turn the dimmer switch down on certain things. You know, if yeah. I've got a lot going on, I've got the snooker, I've got the book, I've got the documentary, I've got my kids, or I've got Layla and I've got this. It's like, they all can't be on full blast. I've kind of got to go, you know what? The book's important. This is important. Layla's important. Snooker's got to take a back seat. So I turn the dimmer switch down. I don't turn it off. But I just turn it down and I allow myself to go, you know what? If the results ain't great, it's all right. I can turn that one up and then turn these other three down. But it's juggling. It's like, how do you juggle it? But I don't want to be that person that tries to do everything, but ends up hating everything he does. Because that, that can yeah. happen as well, you know? And we've all got busy lives. And it's sometimes it's about doing, playing about with the dials a bit, you know? Do you think to be the best at anything, you have to endure great pain? Because, you know, I, I watched that Usain Bolt documentary and loved it. And he is... You know, he enjoys or did enjoy what he did very much and he enjoyed the races. But there was a lot of pain in the training, in the dedication, in the sacrifice. Do you think you can be the best without that? No, I think you have to, you know, there's some people like the, the athletes, they like the, the feeling of discomfort. They like, when, they, when it gets uncomfortable and that pain hits, that's when they start to go, I'm really enjoying this. I ain't one of them. I'm not into physical pain when I'm running. I'm thinking like, this is getting a bit hard here. But what I can do is I can take on a lot of mental pain. <laughs> so snooker is not a, like a physical sport, but it's a very mental sport. But what I'm able to do is take on a lot of mental. So like when my agent, I sat down with him one day and I went, I've got this going on, that going on, this and that. And he looked at me and he went, he said, I don't know how you do it. He said, I couldn't live your life. <laughs> and I went, really? Yeah. <laughs> I went, really? He went, no, nah. he said, I couldn't do it, mate. He said, I, you know, and, and I went, oh, all right. But it, we've all got the ability to take on a lot of pain at something. Usain Bolt can just smash out 200 metres after two, run with a tyre behind him, and he can go, yeah, that, and he gets off on it. You know, um, I get off on maybe mental pain, and I'm able to kind of go, you know what, I can deal with that and come through it and be stronger for it. Um, so I think you do need to kind of, I don't want people to think that, like, quit on life. No, Steve Peters always said to me, he said, no, nah. he said, I'm not saying you've got to quit on life. He said, but what I am saying is you don't need to, to burn up all this energy. He said, like, you know, 10 minutes before you go out and play, you switch on. He said, and when you switch on, we want you focused. He said, but the minute it's over, you put that cue down, you switch off. He said, and it's a skill. And I think that's what Usain Bolt was able to do. He could switch on, switch off, switch on, switch off. That's something you can kind of learn. But I do definitely think to be successful, you need to kind of you need to graft it out. You know, you need to get in the trenches. You need to put that time in. You need to make the mistakes. You need to, you need to foul a lot. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Yeah. We spend, like I yeah. said, we spend 90% of our life failing, but our failing is still not failing. It's just, we just come up against an opponent that was on fire that day. You know, we've all got things where we kind of go, you know what, that weren't great. But, you know, it's part and parcel. Steve Peters always said to me as well, he said, if you want to be a snooker player, you've got to accept the ups and downs. He said, if you want snooker in your life or you want running in your life or whatever you want in your life, he said, you've got to accept the ups and downs that come with it. Otherwise, don't do it. And I went, yeah. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good because we can easily all look at people at the top of their game and think, oh, it's all right for them. They're lucky. They're smashing it, whatever. It's like you, you don't get it w without the pain. What I also like learning in the book is the time you ensure you have in the day to get an M&S scone? Well, that's a Sheffield thing because obviously right. it's sort of like, I think like Sheffield is 17 days of 
what my mate calls it, smothering yourself in mustard. Because, like, he went, <laughs> it is fucking evil. He said, I don't know how you do it. He said, but it's like you're just smothering yourself in it. And you yeah. just kind of got to go through it. So I went, okay, well, I'm going to have to go through it. So I have two rules. I don't practice before any of my games because all I'm going for is pain or relief. So I take that out of the game. I've done my work. Another 10 minutes on that practice, so ain't going to make a slightest bit of difference. So I put my iPhone on. I stick me fucking only fools and horses on or whatever it is. I put my feet up, put the kettle on. And me and me mate, we have a great 45 minutes just chatting. There's no stress. Another thing that I like to do is have me scone and me clotted cream and me jam. I go, you know what? That is going to get me through two, three, four hours. And I just, it's like a little thing that it's like, it's my little treat to myself. I love like, it. You know, it's like some people like, like go out for a coffee with your mate and you, you just enjoy that time with your girlfriend or your mate. And you go, you know what? I'm only having a coffee sitting out in the sun, but why am I feeling so fucking good? You know what I mean? So it's like incorporating little things like that in, in my work, you know, that little coffee in that room and watching TV and having that scone is while I'm smothering myself in mustard. So while I'm getting the mustard on, I might as well have a bit of scone and cream just to sort of like, you know, like it's like it's like tug of war. You know what I mean? I love it. There's something just so perfect about a scone. They're, they're just the best. They are amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolute heaven. i probably 25 scones in 17 days at Sheffield. <laughs> Sometimes it's two a day. That's on a real mustardy day. You got a game for the for the double whammy. Oh mate, sometimes it's sometimes I've got some left over and I go back to my room and I'm like I'm having two of them and my mates look at me and I'm like I don't give a fuck how this makes me feel. I'm running in the morning. I love it. I love it. Oh my god, Ronnie, it's been so good talking to you and I've it's made me think differently about a lot of things actually talking to you about my own selfishly about my own life and how I think about things and that reward sort of system I don't know I, it's given me a lot to chew over so thank you so much and, and good luck with the book it's brilliant and just great to talk to you lovely nice to speak to you too Ronnie honestly that really made me think differently about some stuff in my own life that whole pain relief situation which oh my god I hadn't realised how much I can fall into that trap until I finished reading Ronnie's memoir, Unbreakable. I often really seek relief in practising, honing my skills and getting better at things, but also that can slip into sort of self-punishment when I don't give myself breaks. It's really interesting. And also, I think became starkly aware of how I often don't allow myself to just enjoy things. So lots to reflect on. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, Ronnie. I bloody loved that. Ronnie's memoir, Unbreakable, is out on the 11th of May. And for more book recommendations, by the way, I'd love you to come and join the Happy Place Book Club. We're on Instagram, at Happy Place Book Club. That's where you can find us. And of course, we have our usual Happy Place Instagram, at Happy Place Official. For more feel-good stuff, go check it out. Massive thanks again to the brilliant Ronnie, to the producer, Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you, you are absolutely ace. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com